The primary purpose of the matter over mind experience is to educate. It doesn't constitute advice or services. Before making any changes, please consult a medical or dietary professional. Nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So, take a seat and enjoy the ride. Welcome to another episode of the Matter Over Mind Experience. I'm your host, Master Trainer and Weight Management Expert, Narado Zico Powell. And today, I have my man from the UK, Dorian Sones. She's a registered nutritionist who helps people with chronic symptoms get their lives back. You hear that? People with chronic symptoms get their lives back. Now, that's so huge, right? Because a lot of times we have these symptoms that we think are really sicknesses, but we don't identify the root causes, which are the actual illness. But so when we have these symptoms, we feel like, oh, my energy levels are low. Oh, I um, I can't really get out of bed. Oh, I can't lose weight. You know, all these problems that we have there are, that are symptoms of an underlying issue. But once we fix that underlying issue, then the symptoms start to get better. It's just like your car. If there's an issue with your car, it may need an oil change or there may be an issue with the alternator. So you address what's actually happening with a car and then the car runs better. The human body is a lot more complex than that, but that's the same idea. So listen to what Dorian has to deliver to us today. And of course, we have a hack of the episode, right? And it's habits to improve the health of our gut. And every time I talk about gut health, my face lights up. Everybody knows I love gut health. And Dorian has some good information to share with us and some habits to improve the health of your gut. And with that being said, let's welcome Dorian to the show. Hey, my man, how you doing today? Great to be here. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, my friend. And with that being said, tell my audience about yourself. Yeah, sure. So as you said, I'm, I'm a registered nutritionist in the UK, but I'm working with clients all over the world. Uh, I'm, I'm trained in functional medicine. Uh, so that's how I practice, which is uh, to add to uh, some of the stuff you were just saying. It's root cause medicine, right? So we're looking for the root cause. And I got into this because of my own experience with autoimmunity. Uh, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune, uh, an autoimmune disease in my early 30s. I'm 41 now. And, um, you know, um, I went through all the conventional routes, right? I really trusted conventional medicine. And it didn't give me any answers and I didn't feel any better. So um, it was Graves' disease I was diagnosed with, which is a thyroid condition, right? You have an overactive thyroid. Uh, so after spinning my wheels for like two years, I, I I was told, right, you're not getting better. You've got to have your thyroid out. And it was there, it was at this point that, you know, this just didn't make sense to me, right? I didn't know anything about health like like I do now. But it didn't make sense that we take out a, an organ in your body. So I started looking for alternatives. I found functional medicine. And really, the rest is history. I mean, uh, I just got to a point where I could not believe that everyone didn't know this. 
Um, I was uh, I did a completely different job in a former life. I was a ship broker, which is like real estate for ships. Uh, so I went and did a master's, got qualified, and that's what uh, brought me to this business. And the rest is history, or I should say, this in this case, present, right? Because right, right. you're, you're helping people and uh, you're making a difference. And again, I love having guests on the show who've experienced autoimmune issues, which honestly, more people have experienced autoimmune issues and experiencing them and don't even know that they are. But you right. have the expertise and the knowledge to know with your situation and also help others who are having these symptoms as well, right? And right. that leads me to my next question. Because I want to talk about the... um the autoimmune epidemic, right? Yeah. What are what's what are some things that are leading up to this or causing this? Yeah, so that's a complex question, and uh, uh, we'll need to unpack that a bit because it's multifaceted. And I'm I'm just going to go ahead and say, no one knows definitively. But no one knows definitively because there are so many variables going into this. Um, we have a metabolic health crisis, right? We know uh, what metabolic health, poor metabolic health, does to your immune system, right? We've just had um an experience with uh covid right and people with worse metabolic health had worse worse outcomes um our our diets are dramatically changed so i think the average american is now consuming 60 percent of their diet from processed food so they're not getting uh you know they're getting more than enough calories but they're not getting ad- adequate nutrition uh we have uh glyphosate high residues of glyphosate in our foods so glyphosate it doesn't Glyphosate is a, a pesticide that we use on, on crops, on um, for agriculture, um, and it doesn't. It's not meant to harm humans. It works on a pathway called the Shikamati pathway, which doesn't affect human cells, but it does affect mitochondrial cells, and it will affect your gut bacteria. Uh, loss in bacterial species in our gut, right? Loss of diversity in our gut. And there's so many reasons for that. So gut, your um, uh, diet is obviously a reason for that. Uh, increased rates of uh, cesarean sections or uh, reduced rates of breastfeeding. That also is a reason for that. Uh, go, when you're born, going out from the vaginal canal, you pick up the microbiome from your mother. Uh, increased use of antibiotics. That's another reason. Um, increased um, sanitation, living sanitation. So there's like evidence that people living on farms and around animals, they have lower lower rates of allergies and autoimmunity. And it's because they're picking up lots of different microbes from being exposed to animals and being outside in the soil. So all of these things and many more that I haven't mentioned, I think are converging uh, to create the autoimmune epidemic. I'll tell, I say two things that definitely isn't creating the autoimmune epidemic is definitely not age um, because the autoimmune epidemic, we're not living that much longer than this has been going on. It's been since the last 50 years that this has really exploded. And it's definitely not genetics because we haven't changed our genetics in the last 50 years either. I want to add something to that list. And it's biological aging, right? Because people have to really pay close attention because you said it's not age, which you're correct. But biologically, we're aging faster than we're supposed to. Every disease, illness you can think about is connected to chronic accelerated aging. Right. And we need to slow down the aging process. The more we slow down the aging process, the healthier we will be. Same yeah. thing with uh, when I was growing up, I was told that let me say it again. When I was growing up, it was people. Did, let me say that. Let me start. Let me slow down and uh, get my thoughts together here. When I was growing up, 
people didn't really have diabetes and and heart disease. A lot of these health issues that we have in our 20s and 30s now, we didn't have them until we got older. But now people are experiencing them at a way younger age because we're aging faster. We're having diseases that we shouldn't have until maybe we get older. So chronic accelerated aging is something that's damaging us, and we really need to pay attention to that. Also, what comes along with that? Oxidative stress, chronic inflammation, poor gut health. All these things are all tied in, and that's why we need to address the root cause because accelerated aging could be a root cause. Oxidative stress, chronic inflammation, these can all be root causes. And once we address these, then a lot of, a lot of good things can then happen. Every disease you can think of is connected to chronic inflammation, not inflammation, but chronic inflammation, right? So we need to address these things and we need to work with an expert or a specialist who understands this and can work with you with these things. Right. I couldn't agree with more with what you said. Uh, and I think there's this myth that's quite pervasive that we're only designed to live till 30 or 40, right? There's this myth that before modern medicine, we all uh, died when we were in our 30s and 40s, right? And uh, that's just not true, actually. It is true that when we look at modern hunter-gatherers, which are our best example of how we may have lived, that they have an average death age of around 35, 40, because they have an unbelievably high infant mortality, right? They have, a, if you have, they average, they have six kids, and you're going to lose four of those kids, right? That's their reality. And the reason for that is things like they don't have antibiotics, okay? So modern medicine has solved massive problems with infant mortality. It's a miracle, which is amazing, right? This is the benefits of conventional medicine. We've we've essentially solved this infant mortality problem. But the reality is in that for those people, if they make it to 15, if they make it to adulthood, then they have a, a longevity that's not different to ours. But the, the thing that is different from our the thing that is different from from our uh, our lifespan to theirs is they have a much greater health span, right? If you're a, you know, if you're a six-year-old in a tribe, right, you're living in a tribe, you're expected to be useful, right? That that we, we evolved to be useful literally till the day we died. There isn't this aging that we see in modern cultures where people effectively become decrepit, right? It starts in their 50s and 60s, and it, and it really accelerates until the point where, you know, in their 70s and 80s, that they, they have extreme loss of function. And it's not meant to be like that at all. So break down so because you can, I know you're talking on that wavelength right now. So I want you to keep going on this so health span versus lifespan. So people may right. still hear that and say, well, what does it really mean? Can you uh, explain a little bit more? Sure, sure. I, I think it's uh, the most important thing, which is, which is quality of life. Right. It's your what's your quality of life like and how long uh, how how long can you maintain that quality of life? Right. If we're alive at 70, but we're a vegetable, does it really matter? Is that really what we want to be alive at that stage? Or do you want to be vital, literally vital until the day you die? You know, if you give me an option of, you know, say living till 90, but I'm going to spend the last 20 years a vegetable or living to 70. And I'm going to be vital until then. You know, I know which one I'm going to choose. And I think most people would be the same. So uh, health span, we have a we have good lifespan in, in the modern world. No doubt about it. Like people are living into their late 70s, 80s. But we have quite a poor health span. I think 
most, I think the average American, by the time they're 50, I think they're on four medications. I might be wrong there, but it's three or four medications. That's average, right? So um, uh, this is a, it's, it's a spiral. You get on one medication and then often those medications have side effects. You take medications for the side effects and you start to spiral. And um, I think it doesn't take a long stretch. People can look around like the, the average health span in the West is, is extremely poor. People are expected to be in bad. They're expecting things to happen by the time they get to 50. You're, you're, you're unusual if things haven't happened by the time you get to 50. You're unusual if you're not on medication. So we have to, this, this idea of what's common, but not normal, right? Like what is common today is not normal for us as a species. Um, and um, I think really most people, there's, there's no reason why most people, doesn't matter what your family history is or genetics, shouldn't actually expect if they do the right things to have a tremendous health span up until, you know, the day they die. A lot of the healthiest cultures in the world, I, I, I read a study on this. I think it was um, Rob Wolf, actually. He's a scientist that brought this up. Mm. A lot yeah. of healthiest cultures in the world, they, li- they have a good health span, right? So like you're saying, they live right. longer, and then the moment that they're dying is shorter. Right. Versus today's society, we're actually dying for a longer period of time because we're on That's all it. these medications. Yeah. We have all yeah. these issues, right? So that we don't have a good, like you're saying, we don't have a good health span. So that's something to really think about. I've always yeah. told people, I said, like you said, there, there are times when we need Western medicine. I always make the joke that if I get hit by a bus, I'm not going to yeah. inhale some essential oils and think I'm going to be right. okay. Right. <laughs> I need right. a doctor. I need, you know, I, I need a, I need a doctor. So right. there are times we need Western medication, but for day to day maintenance, it's just way overused. And that's where an issue comes in. There's a episode of Friends. I'm a big Friends fan and yeah. my favorite show of all time, everybody. I love Friends. Yeah. And I, Phoebe was, Phoebe doesn't take medication. And Monica said she had a headache and Monica said, take these pills. They're really good. And Phoebe's like, no, no, I'll, I'll be fine. She's like, take him. She's like, okay, fine. So she took it. And then a couple of hours, she felt great. And she's like, these are magic pills. Oh my God. I feel so amazing. And then she looked at the back of it and she said, Oh, it comes with these really nice instructions. And Monica's like, no, those are the side effects. Phoebe's like, the what now? And then it is just like, you know, nausea, stomach bleeding, headache. And yeah. I'm like, so yeah, taking yeah. the pills a headache and one of the side effects is headache. <laughs> so, right. you know, really think about like what we're doing to our bodies when we overuse right. these drugs. But anyway, I digress enough about me. I want to talk about something else. I'm 40 years old and I have a full, full head of hair. My friends love to talk to um, yeah. friends and I have talked yeah. about that before. They're like, you have a full head of hair. That's a, that's really great. Like most guys in yeah. their 40s don't. So let's talk about hairlessness because a lot of us tend to start losing hair as we're in our 30s or so. So right. what are some causes of that? Yeah. Uh, so so what causes hair loss in men? So there is obviously a genetic component, right? And I'm lucky enough to have a full head of hair. Um, but uh, in, in men, what, what causes hair loss is the conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone or DHT, right? Um, and that process can definitely be sped up by, by stress. So um, there is uh, so chronic stress can mean that you convert more of your active free testosterone into this DHT, which might contribute to uh, the hair loss process. Well, there is a large genetic component. I deal with a lot of hair loss in women, actually. 
Um, and um, that can be a bit more complex. So obviously that conversion is not happening. DHT, conversion of testosterone and DHT is not happening at the same rate in women because they do not have the same levels of testosterone, right? So what, what's happening there? And that, then, that, then it's much more multifactorial. So under eating would be a, a cause of hair loss. Low stomach acid, low stomach acid is a big cause of hair loss. Um, when you have low stomach acid, you do not absorb the requisite nutrients. So iron, B vitamins, zinc, or, or the proteins to actually make hair. Um, stress is a big one, uh, which comes under the banner of under eating as well. That's just considered a stress. Um, and um, hypothyroid. Those would be the main causes that I see in women. In men, it's kind of a bit simpler. It's like genetics and stress. Ah, interesting. So all of that sounds like it really, in a way, boils down. Because in females, I would imagine that um, genetics would play a role as well, right? Right. Uh, no, not really, because we have met male pattern baldness, right? Male pattern baldness is is what that's your that's your hereditary genetic predisposition to lose lose hair. Male pattern baldness. Women don't have male pattern baldness, right? But I have uh, I have lots of clients and they find, you know, they're washing their hair and they have big clumps of hair coming out in their hands. Um, and, and I think that the, 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 the stuff that I outlined is, are the main causes that I see. So hypothyroid is a big one. If you have hypothyroid, you, you've got to correct that one way or another, whether it's um, um, correct, correctly dosing your thyroid medication, which can be difficult. Gut health is a massive one for, for your thyroid. Uh, and and stomach acid. Stomach acid is a big deal when it comes to your hair. Um, and in fact, st- stomach acid is is a huge deal when it comes to lots of functions. Your gut function in in particular, it's it's like a really underrated thing. And we uh, we're all busy trying to suppress our acid because people has reflux or because they get um, uh, heartburn. But usually, reflux or heartburn is 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 actually a sign of low acid, not high acid. And uh, I'd say that's probably the biggest cause that I see of hair loss in women is low stomach acid. So interesting enough, because low stomach acid can easily be corrected. Right. And, but our society is completely making it hard because of the habits that we have. I had Riley Ramasco on the show last, last year. She talked about GERD. She talked about low stomach acid. Right. And I have her coming up again next month, actually. We're going right. to do a part two to it. But some of the basic habits, like, don't drink with when you eat because you're diluting your stomach right. acid. Fantastic one. Right. Improving your digestion. Like there's so many things that we can do to improve digestion, improve stomach acid and stop taking Tums. Because yeah. like I said, a lot of times we're trying to diet, which we think we have heartburn because we have too much stomach acid. But like you right. said, it's the opposite. We yeah. don't have enough stomach acid and we take Tums trying right. to dilute the stomach acid we already have, making the situation right. worse. And if that's connected to hair loss, then that's something to consider, right? Hypothyroidism. And you're talking about underactive thyroid, correct? Underactive. Yeah, under. Right. So that's something to consider as well, which that's not as easy to fix, but that's definitely something that you can work on. And the nutrition piece, you're not absorbing the right, getting the right uh, micronutrients into your diet that will help you with with that as well. So you can correct your nutrition to get more. And of course, you may need to supplement based on what your needs are, but these are things that are corrected. Which leads me to my next question, right? Because right. I want to talk about histamine intolerance. Yes. Because I know you, you've talked about this and you're an expert mm-hmm. in this. So tell us about histamine intolerance and what is it? And- yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, histamine clients is a big thing I do. So uh, histamine is an inflammatory molecule and it's made by your innate immune system, right? Uh, 
So uh, it's actually, it's got loads of functions. It makes stomach acid. Histamine attaches to an H2 receptor in your stomach and, and it gets you to produce stomach acid. It also is part of your sleep-wake cycle. It's stimulating. It's like higher in the day. Uh, but it's, it works part of your immune system. So if you cut yourself, the cut will swell up slightly. And that is histamine. That is histamine increasing the blood flow supply to that cut. So that cut has more uh, of the stuff it needs to heal, including more immune cells to protect it from any infection coming into the cut. So we need histamine um, and uh, and your innate immune system. That's your like your first defense, right? That's what kind of makes you feel a bit crummy when you have a, a flu or an infection. That is your innate, innate immune system causing inflammation. So um, with histamine issues, I, I actually see two major kinds of histamine issues. One is mast cell activation syndrome. So mast cells are the cells of your innate immune system that produce histamine. Okay. People with mast cell activation syndrome, it's kind of like what it says. They have these overly sensitive mast cells that will react to different stimulus. So it could be food. It could be a perfume or a chemical. It could be something they touch. It can even be like if they're just stressed, that will that will trigger their mast cells. And the symptoms will be of histamine, uh, of excess histamine, like flushing of your skin, feeling hot, hives or urticaria. Um, and and also uh, fatigue, muscle and joint pain. Um, histamine intolerance really difference. There's a subtle difference in that it's not necessarily that your mast cells are um, overactive, but you are prone to a buildup of histamine in your body. So as you go through the day, you will eat food. Some of them will be higher in histamine, or certain situations will cause a flush of histamine, like stress. Stress is massively your limbic system, which is your stress response system can trigger your innate immune system to release histamine. Uh, and the symptoms are the same. But what tends to happen with mast cell activation syndrome is the symptoms are instant. You get like a flare like this, whereas histamine intolerance is like it will build up through the day and you'll have fluctuating symptoms depending on the levels of histamine in your body. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. So so that, th- those, are, those are the general symptoms of histamine intolerance. And um, like the causes are are kind of multifaceted. I said stress is a, is like a massive piece, and I'll come back to that. Gut is definitely uh, gut health is definitely a factor, right? So um, uh, your seventy to eight, as I'm sure you know, seventy to eighty percent of your immune system resides just outside your gut lining, right? Any issues in your gut that is stimulating your immune system, that is predisposing you to all kinds of things, not just histamine issues autoimmunity, any immune issue, but but histamine issues are immune issues. Um, specifically with mast cell activation syndrome, we see some we see some very specific triggers. So like trauma is a huge trigger. So when I say trauma, this is more than your daily like chronic stress load. This is stuff like a divorce, a relationship breakdown, a death in the family, or maybe like a car accident, like a physical trauma. Um Mold. Mold is a, is a huge trigger, right? Environmental mold. So this is actually mycotoxins, which is actually the off-gassing of the mold. This might be relevant if, like, uh, you had a leak, you've got a leaky roof, you've had a leak that you haven't dealt with, or maybe you sometimes get, like, sick building syndrome. You move into a house, and then your symptoms start. You might start thinking there's mold in that house that you don't know about. Um, and then and COVID. Long COVID, long COVID is mast cell activation syndrome, right? Uh, not a lot of people know that, but most of the time, certainly most of the people I've dealt with who have long COVID, it is just 
COVID for some reason has triggered mast cell activation syndrome. And it seems to come with very high levels of dysbiosis in the gut. In fact, with long COVID, I've seen the craziest um, stool tests in terms of dysbiosis I've ever seen. And I'm comparing that to IBS, IBD clients. So I don't know why that is. I don't know if that's caused by the COVID or it, they, they already had that a bit. So they were they were predisposed to long COVID. But that's something I see um, with long COVID. With So they tend to be the, the sort of triggering events. And then the mediating factors behind that would be things like, you know, gut health, chronic stress, stress in your childhood, stress through your life, that sort of thing. Um, your innate immune system is very tied to your limbic system. So like the stress spot. So, so funny story. I have some, uh, I have clients who like, they get shocked. They've got mast cell activation and they'll have to get shocked. Maybe a bus will come up behind them. They weren't expecting and they'll instantly flush red. And it's just that stress response triggering that mast cell release. Um, histamine intolerance is a little different. It's, it's generally histamine tolerance is, is gut health again and chronic stress there hasn't been that necessarily triggering event to um, cause the, the immune dysfunction where you have an overactive mast cell. With histamine intolerance and histamine issues generally, one factor that's a major uh, uh, issue is your detoxification. So literally how fast you can clear histamine through your liver, right? So your histamine has to be cleared through your liver. It has to go through phase one and phase two of your detoxification. And in phase two, it's methylated, right? Are you familiar with methylation? No, that break that down from our audience. Right. So methylation is a biochemical process where a methyl group, which is a specific molecule, is attached to another molecule. We use it in a ton of things in our body, like DNA renewal, right? We have to, so cell division processes, we use methylation. Um, and methylation is a part of detoxification, phase two detoxification whereby we remove compounds from our body. We can't get these compounds out of our body until they're converted into a, uh, a water-soluble uh, compound that can be put into our bile that then comes out in our stool or then is excrete or something that's excreted in our urine, okay? So methylation is part of that process. Now, uh, this is, so methylation, there is like genetic differences in how well you methylate. It's called the MTHFR gene, right? So MTHFR determines how, it's like, it's like a, a the a, a plug hole right how big the plug hole is right so we've got the tap pouring water into the bath that's the histamine coming into the bath and you've got the plug hole which is how well you detoxify that histamine so everyone has slightly genetically differently but this is the big factor so you need nutrients to methylate the main methylation nutrients are b12 folate and riboflavin right so they're b vitamins b, b riboflavin is b2 folate's b9 and cobalamin or B12 is B12, right? You, If your gut isn't working properly, you ain't getting enough of those nutrients, especially B12, where you have to have sufficient stomach acid. There's a reaction in your stomach where basically intrinsic factor, which you make in your stomach, attaches to the cobalamin or B12 molecule. And then when the food goes into your small intestine, you're able to absorb the B12. If that doesn't happen, you're not able to absorb the B12 that reaction happens only at a pH below three, right? So acidic. So if you're not making sufficient stomach acid, you're going to have a problem having enough B12. So this is this is like a pattern I see a lot with histamine clients. They're prone to a buildup of histamine because their detoxification isn't uh, as maybe as, as good as it could be. 
There might be genetic factors in there, but more often than not, it's a, it's a nutrient issue and it's tied to stomach acid. When we talk about gut health, we often talk about good versus bad bacteria. But now we're talking about gut health and we're talking about having the right amount of stomach acid. So those right. habits are so important, right? Because if you have adequate stomach acid, you can digest your food better. The better you digest your food, it helps with your health and also with your weight. So now there are two things to talk about when we, talk, when we when we're discussing gut health. Good gut bacteria, more good versus bad. And most doctors say 85% good versus bad bacteria. And also adequate stomach acid. And those together can improve the health of your gut. You don't need one or the other. You need to have both. So thank you for sharing that because that's something that's extremely important. Of course, yeah, absolutely. And I actually like to say, so when it comes to di- um, uh, stomach acid production, bile secretion, and also like digestive enzyme production, and also the peristalsis of your gut, I, I group that together and I call that you're just your digestive function. That's your digestive function. How good is your digestive function? And, you know, our gut, so if we take our gut, like mouth to anus, one organ, right, it's actually quite self-sufficient, right? There are mechanisms in our gut that maintain the environment, which mostly means the pH of each section of your gut. And if the pH is right in each section of your gut, you you develop the kind of bacteria you want. You have a more favorable gut bacteria environment. Okay, so um, uh, stomach acid is part of that. You know, things like uh, SIBO, which I'm sure you're familiar with, right? Small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. SIBO is just a symptom of poor digestive function. If your stomach acid is on point, if your bile secretion is on point, all this stuff is antimicrobial in your duodenum, the first part of your small intestine. You don't get a buildup of bacteria there, fermenting the food. If your peristalsis, your your motility, your major motility complex is on point, they're sweeping all the bacteria down into the colon. So, like, um, yeah, we we come back to gut health. I was talking about histamine, but it's it's just it's just because gut is obviously a massive factor. Um, and then, um, you know, gut gut and stress are the two major factors with histamine by far and away. Do me a favor and tie that in to fatigue, because I believe you you think that fatigue is a major physiological dysfunction. So tie that into tie that into fatigue for us. Yeah. So I would call fatigue like one of a key key indicators of health. Right. It's a very high level indicator of health. There's actually only so many symptoms that we can have. Right. So that's why you tend to see across the board different conditions. They share lots of symptoms because there's only so many symptoms you can experience. Right. Fatigue pain uh you know there's only so many stuff you can experience so um uh when it comes fatigue is your body's sign is is a great sign that your body is just not doing as well as it could do right most conditions or people people that i uh work with which is gut people with gut health issues autoimmunity and histamine issues they all have fatigue to varying degrees right and there's so much that goes into fatigue. I mean, you know, where do I start? So metabolic health, your meta, your metabolic health, right? If you can't insulin resistance, which is how well you get energy into cells. If you're not getting energy into cells, you're probably not going to be producing energy in the right way. Uh, there's also evidence that if you've got insulin resistance, you're not going to have mitochondria, your mitochondrial function, which is your energy powerhouses of your cells are not going to be as good. Um, your gut health, your gut health literally, so there's so many levels that your gut health could affect your energy. Um, one would be nutrient absorption. If your nutrient absorption is impaired, 
you're not going to have the 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 requisite like cofactors to actually produce energy in your cells and the other way is inflammation right because your gut can influence your immune system it has the ability to create inflammation in any area of your body and if you're generally inflamed if you have levels of inflammation in your body you're definitely going to feel tired you're definitely going to feel fatigued um that's part of like many autoimmune cases but it's very difficult people to understand like they eat something and they might not get digestive symptoms not if, if you eat something that's a food intolerance you might not you might get a headache right and that's difficult for people to connect the dots on that and the reason is because the, the gut is influencing your immune system and your immune system doesn't just exist outside your gut it can, can create inflammation anywhere so you can eat something and you can get joint pain because it's creating inflammation in your joints um Histamine causes fatigue. So there's a, uh, I, I think I did a post um, a while back and it was on like conditions that are often like, have you been diagnosed with a condition that's actually histamine, a histamine issue, right? Massive one for this is fibromyalgia, right? Fibromyalgia is a diagnosis of exclusion, right? It means we've done all the tests, the conventional tests to see what's going on with you. And we don't know what's going on with you, but you have these symptoms. That's, it's like IBS is like this, many years diseases like this. There's a ton of symptoms that are diagnosis of exclusion. And um, so fibromyalgia, the, 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 um, the, the symptoms of fibromyalgia are chronic fatigue and pain in your muscles, right? Basically two things that histamine issues will cause is fatigue and pain in your muscles. And again, I, I see so many people come to me with fibromyalgia and actually it's just histamine intolerance is what they've actually got. Uh, so histamine will cause fatigue. Um, thyroid is a massive one. If your thyroid is off, whether it's high or low, like thyroid is the thyroid hormone is one hormone where every cell in your body has a receptor for. So, um, so yeah, if your thyroid is off, you're going to know about it and you're definitely going to feel tired. But there's a few of them. I don't know. There's so many <laughs> causes of fatigue. No, no worries. But I think the general summary of everything is explaining that if you have fatigue, right? If you struggle with constant fatigue, don't just take a five-hour energy. There may be health oh, well, issues yeah. that's yeah. causing it. And that's what you need to focus on, the root cause. Because once you do that, you it improves your overall quality of life. And that's where a lot, most people miss. They don't focus on the root cause, but when they start to focus on the root cause, their energy level gets better. They feel better. They start to lose weight. And that's so vital. That's why I have the mind over mind experience. That's why I interview um, nutritionists like Dorian is to teach you these things so you can make changes in your life and maybe even work, reach out to them and start to l have them work with you as an expert to help you to get over those issues those mystery illnesses, right? Like IBS and fibromyalgia, right? So many people are diagnosed with it, like you said, because they're basically diseases of exclusion. I've never heard that term used before, but they're really? diseases of exclusion, right? And that's yeah. true. I have interviewed experts that say they think these diagnoses are, are, are I guess not, I'm not going to occur. So say these diagnoses are nonsense, right? Because they, they, they just rule out you don't have, we can't figure yeah. out what you have so it That's looks exactly. like you have one of these and this is what yeah. we're going to treat you for that is absolute nonsense yeah right so i love i love how you use the term like diseases of exclusion i'm going to start yeah. to use that in like future yeah. episodes and stuff but yeah. with that being said 
we're down to the hack of the episode. Dorian is going to give us some good information about how to improve the health of our gut. I can't wait for this. I really can't wait for this. But before I do it, let me tell you about one of my favorite products. You know, I'm going to talk about the Amino Co. If they have 100% science-backed essential amino acid designed to improve recovery times and improve physical function by accelerating muscle repair by helping you maintain an infl- a healthy inflammatory response. And we talk about inflammation and adequate protein in your diet, es- essential aminos in your diet is, are vital to help you, um, respond better to inflammation, to heal better from workouts. I love this product. I love heal. I drink it usually doing my workouts while I'm lifting as, as an intra workout to feed my body the creatine, the whey protein and the essential aminos, especially now that I'm on, uh, this uh wonderful bulking faith. The uh there's a recent um trial, right? And they compared one and two scoop amounts of heal with high quality whey protein. And the net bounds between um whole body protein synthesis and breakdown were measured. And the response to heal was found, check this out, to be three times larger than whey protein on a gram to gram basis. But you know why that's important? Because of the particular blend of essential aminos and also with a particular adding in the creatine and the whey protein isolate, which your body can use pretty much immediately, helps your body to respond better. And that's why I personally use it as an intro workout. But let's say you're injured. You can drink it to uh, give your body some essential aminos and creatine, which is basically the end product of protein um, during injury, right? To help you to maintain your muscle mass. It was actually originally designed to help NASA astronauts maintain their muscle mass while they were in space. And then it was redefined, right? For people like us who don't go to space, which I might want to live on Mars one day. Who knows? But yeah, it's a lot of, it's really fantastic product. I love it. So check it out. It's uh, aminoco.com says you can health in the webs is the website. You get 30% off heal and also perform, which is another one of my favorite, favorite products from them, which is basically my pre-workout, which has uh, essential aminos and creatine as well. And of course, the website is going to be in the description of the podcast. And with that being said, let's get to the hack of the episode. All right. Let's talk about gut health. Let's talk about habits to improve gut health. Dorian laid on us. Yeah, actually, you 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 uh, you you picked one of my favorite ones earlier in the episode, which is not to drink while you're eating, right? That's massive. And actually, you know what you do around um, what you do around meal times is a big deal for gut health, right? I used to believe that um, that the reason stress affects gut health is, that, is this chronic thing. Okay, but if you're chronically stressed, you're slightly impairing your gut health a long time uh, over a long time. But I actually did this test called the Heidelberg test. I don't know if you ever heard of it. You um, you take a capsule on a pill, you swallow it, and it goes in your stomach, and it measures your stomach acid real time. It used to be what conventional medicine used before the invention of PPIs, an, an acid blocking medication. And um, you can watch your stomach acid in real time, and they they squirt bicarbonate of soda in your mouth. They neutralize your stomach acid and they see how fast you um, you reacidify. So I did this experiment because I know the person who has the test and I breathe, I breathe like this, right? I never reacidified, right? If I barely breathe into my, my nose, into my stomach, right? I reacidified really quickly. So I got a baseline on how I was normally reacidifying and then I did it like this. So actually how you go into meals, right? If you go into meal stimulating your parasympathetic, um, that's big for your 
for your digestive function. Um, I think there's a reason cultures across the world pray before before they eat. You don't have to pray, but like be like maybe a 30 second gratitude practice. Think about how the food got to your plate. You know, uh, the farmer, the supermarket stuck in the shelves, you having the money to even buy the food, just something like that, right, can put you in the right place. And then maybe uh, breathing uh, 30 seconds or a short, short amount of time of breathing after the episode or um, after the um, uh, after the, the meal or um, going for a walk after the meal, something like that. So that that's a great one. Um, the other thing, the other gut health thing, like, which is massive is sleep, right? If your sleep's not on point, your gut's not on point. That's a fact. Actually, we, we, we now know that pretty much everything you do affects your gut health. You, uh, you work out affects your gut health. You, you sneeze, it affects your gut health. How you sleep has a, a massive impact on the kind of bacteria, the, the, the population, your gut environment, the populations you have in your gut. So I would say, uh, make sure your sleep is on point as an absolute uh, essential for um, for fixing your gut health. And the most important thing when it comes to sleep is, is your sleep routine. It's like, uh, you know, you want to start winding down before bed. You want to have a bedtime that's in and around the same time most nights, give or take half an hour. And I think the most important thing is not is um, not spending too long in bed. A lot of people think more time in bed is better but it's not, you're destroying your sleep efficiency, right? So let's say you, you want to do eight hours. You want to eight, sleep eight hours. You're doing eight and a half hours in bed. You're giving yourself a 30-minute sleep latency time, and then you're in bed for eight hours. Get up at the same time. No, no negotiation, whether you've slept or not, and get the sun on your face. That's massive because that is going to set you up for sleep the next night. Um, uh, other gut health tips. I think that... Um, Outside what I've just discussed, breath work. So breath work, the research on breath work now and its effect on your parasympathetic nervous system. So your parasympathetic nervous system, which is um, mediated by your vagus nerve coming out of your brain, that is what controls your digestive function, right? We spend a lot of time talking about digestive function. Um, and breath work has been shown now to be more, quite a lot more effective than mindfulness. And I'm a fan of mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation. I think that's great. The breath work's been shown to be quite a bit more effective. So maybe thinking about a breath work practice, there's a ton of good breath work practices. You can just get that for free on YouTube. You could look up Wim Hof breath work stuff um, and um, incorporate that on a daily basis. And you're literally, you're dinging your parasympathetic, you're training the efficiency of your parasympathetic nerve. So I would say those would be three tips off the top of my head for your gut health. Those are fantastic tips, actually. I um most of them are my client, my I say my audience is familiar with and my clients yeah. are familiar with. Uh, sleep, we know the importance of sleep. Uh we know the importance of uh breath work is one that we know the importance of, but that's not talked about enough. And right. actually I think you're the first guest I've had that's tied in um breath work along with gut health. And now we know why like yogis do like yoga meals, right? Right. Where they, you know, that you eat, you put your fork down, you're thankful for your meal, you're in a nice relaxed state, even if you don't pray. And this is a, this is an audio show, right? So people are not going to see it, but I showed Dorian saw, I reached behind me and I took off, I took my guitar off the rack behind me because I wanted to show them that, and I don't know if anybody can hear it, but one of my habits when it comes to my meals 
is I play a song. So I will get on my guitar and I will just play a song. I don't know if, how well you can hear that, Dorian. I can hear it. I can hear it. And I'll play nice, relaxing music before a meal. If I don't have time to play music, then I will do a like a breathing technique for for a few minutes to re- to calm and push my body into a parasympathetic state before I eat. Because from a biological standpoint, we're supposed to be eating and relaxing when we eat. We either in fight or flight, which is sympathetic, or parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. So stuff like playing music. Or stuff like, you know, breathing and slow down our breathing, doing different breathing techniques, push us into that parasympathetic state. Because what? We don't fight and eat at the same time on guard and we start eating. No, you know, when you're fighting, you're fighting. When you're eating, you're eating. So that's extremely important. So thank you for breaking down all of that. I think that was some really good information. And with that being said, Dorian, let my audience know, how can they get in touch with you and learn more about your work? Yeah, so uh, I, I have two accounts on Instagram. Uh so summit double underscore health and then uh symptom reversal formula. So summit double underscore health and then symptom reversal formula, just one word. So those are my two Instagram accounts. So you can follow me on there. That's the best place to find me. That's where I do most of my stuff. Um, so you know, reach out to me there. And uh yeah, you can see all my information there on a lot of the stuff of which we discussed today. Awesome. And the show notes are going to be zikahealth.com slash, let's say, Summit Health. I like that. zikahealth.com slash Summit Health, where all of Dorian's contact information is going to be. Learn more about his work. Get in touch with him if you need to. And with that being said, thank you for listening, fam. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, Save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.